Hello, you're listening to No Such Word Is Can't with me, Hazel McBride. I was always told growing up that there was no such word as can't, and I genuinely believe that that mentality instilled a belief in me that anything was possible if I just set my mind to it. As someone who started off with a seemingly impossible dream and somehow made it my reality, I want to help more people achieve their goals by giving them actionable advice as well as sharing stories from others who have done the same. Today I get to sit down with fellow marine mammal trainer Emily Yalowski from Canada. Thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. How are you, Emily? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so glad and honored to be here with you today. Yeah. And if anyone doesn't follow you on socials or doesn't know who you are, could you give yourself a little introduction? Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter or X uh, and Instagram. I am under Fantastic M. I am a former marine mammal trainer, now animal ambassador, handler, and public relations specialist and I strive to help zoos and aquariums and tell their stories and share my passion for animals and the world we all share amazing like one I just love seeing marine mammal trainers kind of leave the animal care specialty and go into something different that's honestly what we need like even from just being on social media like with my social media consulting as well like zoos and aquariums need it like PR as well I couldn't do PR but like that's so important like they need help yeah and I love social media uh that was my next dream to do uh zoos TikTok one day um but public relations is really a next step because it's one thing to be good on social media um but you really need to have crisis management in check You need to be proactive about what you say so that you have a good public image. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what zoos and aquariums are still trying to figure out how to do it. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I I couldn't have said it better. So you obviously were a marine mammal trainer. Where did that passion start? So when I was three years old, I unfortunately had um, some health complications. It's quite obvious obvious on my socials, but I have inflammatory bowel disease. Um, first, I had ulcerative colitis, um, and now just a few weeks ago, I've been diagnosed with Crohn's disease. Um, so when I was younger, um, my love stemmed, uh, for, stemmed for animals. When I was in the hospital and I watched Free Willy, and I knew from that moment, I wanted to swim with killer whales. And then fast forward to when I was healthy, I went to Marineland of Canada, where I actually got to have a one-on-one connection with a killer whale. Back then in the late 1990s, they allowed guests to just come up and touch killer whales, unheard of. Um, And that's when I told my mom, mom, I wanna be a killer whale trainer. And that's where it really all stemmed from. And I love whales and I grew up going to Miami Sea Aquarium, seeing Toki. And it was just, that that's what it was for me. It was all about whales. Yep. So it was always killer whales for you. It was always killer whales. And growing up, how did you make that dream a reality? So 
it was on a trip to SeaWorld in 2007, where I really got to speak to trainers to understand how to enter this field and studying psychology or another animal science field, being a good swimmer and just learning or finding ways to get into the field, working with animals from a volunteer basis or an internship basis. So over the years after that visit, I got my degree in psychology and practiced swimming. Honestly, did not love swimming, but I knew I had to do it at some point. So I practiced swimming. And during my university years, I did two internships. I interned at the Clearwater Marine Aquarium in their marine mammal department in 2017. And then uh, just before the pandemic, I interned at Dolphin Quest Bermuda um, for a few short months because the pandemic ruined that. But once I was done my psychology degree in 2019 and before I went to Bermuda, I was an associate marine mammal trainer at marine land for about four months and that's where I really got my foot in the door as a be as a junior trainer if you will did it live up to your expectations of that little girl you know wanting to be a marine mammal trainer and then it suddenly happens was it everything you wanted it to be it was and I knew what to expect because I did internships before and I really think internships really help solidify if you want to do that I think if I didn't do those internships it would kind of be a shock as to all the cleaning that you have to do mm -hmm. and um so I'm really thankful I did those internships and it was because of those internships that you know I felt that this is what I wanted to do even just watching the trainers it wasn't a very hands-on internship more hands-on than I definitely expected it to be but um yeah, it was just a wonderful experience with Clearwater Marine Aquarium, and it gave me all the right expectations of what to expect when I got to marine land. Yeah. And did you ever feel like it maybe wouldn't happen? Obviously, being Canadian, um, you had to look a little bit further afield for internships. I know that um, in Canada, you guys can get like a short term visa to work in the States to intern. Is that correct? Yeah, so you can get, it's called the J-1 visa. Um, it's a lot of money, but it's totally worth it if you get it. Um, and so that will give you a period of, I believe it's six months to, mm -hmm. don't quote me on that, I believe it's six months though, um, to work in the States, uh, paid or unpaid. But legally, if you want to go and take the correct legal route to do it, um, you would want the J-1 visa. But I never... You know, there was a time in university where I saw all my friends getting trainer positions and I was a few years older than them. And I'm like, well, I'm still in university. I feel at a very pointless spot right now where I don't know if I'm going to get it. And it seems really hard to get it, but it's all about doing your research as to where you can apply to. And you know, as much as I would love to get back in the field of actually caring for marine mammals, it's really hard to find a place, especially right now in Canada. Um, to put it bluntly, the marine mammal field is dying in Canada. And if you want to train whales or dolphins or sea lions, you have two places, one of which being Marine Land Canada and one of which being the Vancouver Aquarium. Both are very good places to get experience. But otherwise, you're going to have to go to 
Russia, maybe Europe, which I would love to go to Europe, <laughs> um, China, Japan, and a lot of people are um, now SeaWorld Abu Dhabi. And a lot of people don't want to take the leap to leave and leave your family and do something as big as that. But if you're really passionate, that's a really great thing to do while you're young or not tied down or have a really supportive partner. Yeah, definitely. Um, did you ever think that your you mentioned some of your health concerns? Were you ever worried that that would affect your ability to become a marine mammal trainer? There was a split second. I don't remember when it was, but um, there was a split second where I'm like, well, will this get in the way? And I didn't let it because growing up, I did not let things stop me. Sure. I didn't want to get hit with a basketball or a soccer ball. So I didn't play sports like that. By dance and I was healthy growing up, thank goodness. And by hit roadblocks, I would just try and find ways to overcome them health wise. And Thankfully, when I was growing up, it was only the ulcerative colitis, and I actually have an ileostomy pouch on my stomach, and that kind of cured all that, so I didn't really have to worry about anything, so in terms of my health stuff, my ostomy bag gave me a second chance at life to be able to pursue all the dreams I have achieved, and um, I'm very thankful for that surgery. That's a whole other topic in and of itself, but um, yeah, I'm very thankful. That's such a beautiful way of looking at it, honestly. And did you ever feel uncomfortable at work with your ostomy bag? Like, obviously you're working kind of in and around water and, you know, potentially in a wetsuit and changing and, you know, they can be quite skin tight sometimes. Um, how, how did you navigate all of that? So with the wetsuit, I wasn't really worried about it being skin tight because I know you could always go size up in wetsuits. But let yeah. me tell you, having an ostomy bag and swimming plus a wetsuit, you become a flotation device. <laughs> <laughs> like the hardest part in a swim test for me, uh, if I have to wear a wetsuit, is to always do the dive down to the bottom because I will just pop back up to the surface because uh, I got a stomach full of air working against me and then a wetsuit but um that's just an extra thing I have to work on if I want to pass a swim test is to just practice those swimming skills and making sure I can get down to the bottom um in terms of other things with regards to like my personal health I didn't really have any issues maybe more so towards the end of my time at Marineland um Marineland has a very unique pool setup where uh, in order to get that close interaction with the animals, they have to lean over a wall. Mm. So over time, that is what kind of put a thought into the back of my head. Well, what if I'm damaging my internal organs from doing this? Because there were some times where I did have um, some pain or were having complications. And um, that wasn't really a main issue to me it was just a thought that was living in the back of my head but yeah I really tried to live with the mindset not to let this stop me because I also want to be a role model for people who want to yeah. do things like this if there are other trainers listening that are going through something like I am like you can do this Absolutely. whether you have an ostomy bag or whether you're going through um infusion medications right now there are you are able to overcome this because I have and I'm learning to now with my recent diagnosis of Crohn's disease 
Yeah, I honestly, I think it's so inspirational, you know, the fact that you just get on with it. It's just part of, you know, your life. It's just something that you have to deal with. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't stop you, you know, even if you have challenges with things like the swim test, it's like, okay, well, I'm just going to figure out how I keep going and it's all going to be fine. Yeah. And, you know, like, I also don't want to undermine the fact that it is really hard. And I think for me, it's very different because I grew up from Mm. baby to 28 year old with this condition and some people get this or diagnosed later in life and have to undergo surgery later in life so this is not to undermine the all this is so easy it's not so Mm -hmm. you just have to find ways to persevere and know that there are people out there who are doing things very ambitious things and I mean, I'm always willing to talk to somebody if they have questions about surgery or health stuff with being a marine mammal trainer. Yeah, definitely. And how did it feel when you finally got the job? It was very surreal. Um, Working at Marine Land Canada is a very full circle moment for me, or was a full circle moment for me, um, because it was working at a place where I've grown up visiting and loving and knowing some of the animals. Um, so it, it was very full circle for me and a relief to feel like I've made it. How did you get the job? Um, so I visited the facility um, because I hadn't gone in many years and I wanted to see it for myself. Um, and, you know, I spoke to the trainers there and they were all amazing and I applied for the job and I met with the manager of marine mammals at the time and she was wonderful and I got and I got the job based on experience um, and based on my passion the fact that I've worked um, at two other facilities. Yeah and at Marineland Canada were you specifically just on the whale team? Were you working with Kiska the killer whale and also the belugas or how did that work? So when I first started I was with the uh, team that worked at Friendship Cove and Arctic Cove. So my first four months there I was solely on beluga whales and that was an incredible experience. You know I've only had experience with dolphins at the time and you know belugas seemed kind of a little more boring, but they are so far from boring. They are incredible animals, so charismatic, and they're a little different from dolphins because you you can actually kind of see more of their facial expressions in the way they they move their melons and their rostrums and the way they give you a side eye when they're looking at you. Um, they're definitely interesting animals, and um, I was. Uh, working at Marineland on and off between 2020 and 2021, just because of of the pandemic. And I went back to school for public relations at the time of the pandemic. But once I was done my schooling in 2021, I went back to Marineland full-time where I was really able to um, take on more of a full-time trainer role. And eventually I did move into working with Kiska Uh, the killer whale and she was an incredible animal. Tell us a little bit more about her. You know she is she was very selective 
you can tell if she wanted to hang out with you. You could tell if she just wanted nothing to do with you. Um, but when you really got to know her, she really trusted you and wanted to be with you. And that is something I will treasure forever because I remember when I was learning how to work with her because she's a very different animal than belugas. And honestly, I would say than any other killer whale that I visited over the years because I've been to SeaWorld and their whales are active and Kiska did not really seem to enjoy doing high energy behaviors. And she really was embracing the golden years of retirement, if you will. And she was just an incredible trusting animal once you got to know her and you put in the mm -hmm. effort. If you weren't putting in the effort, she knew. Mm -hmm. just there to feed her she knew so once I really started working with her and maintaining husbandry behaviors um, and actually fully integrating into the Kiska team um, towards the end of my time there it was such a wonderful and full circle experience because that whale that I actually got to touch back in 1998 was Kiska mm -hmm. and not like she'd remember that but that was just very sentimental sentimental to me yeah definitely a full circle moment um I think we obviously have to touch on the fact that Kiska is a, was a solitary killer whale up at Marineland Canada you know similarly to Lolita or Toki um down at Miami Sea Aquarium and obviously there's still Shamank um in Argentina who is a male killer whale who lives alone uh, and I think anyone can be of the agreement in the modern day that such a social animal should not be kept alone um, but I think we can also understand that trainers have no say over that. That is not a decision that we can make. You know, all we can do is make sure that they are cared for as best as possible. So what did you and your team do or provide for um, Kiska while you were there? Yeah, so it is really hard when an animal is on their own or solitary, especially if they are a social animal. And from my understanding, Kiska really gravitated towards her training team. And it was almost like a primary reinforcer for her from what we always thought because she loved her rub sessions. And, you know, there were also times where she didn't want to hang out with us. And that's okay. That's all, that's her personality, right? But I, it, you hit an interesting point there. The trainers have no say in whether another animal companion were to come in with her or um, with Toki and Shamank, trainers have no say. It's mainly surrounding um, legal parameters and then whatever upper management outside the marine mammal department has to say. And while a lot of the public may have thought Kiska was quote unquote sad or quote unquote depressed, it's really hard to tell what they're feeling, um, especially because Kiska had been alone for at least 10 years at that point when I started. I don't know her life before that, before um, I started working there. And I did get to see, uh, I did get to visit her when Akaika, who's now at SeaWorld San Diego, was around. And they had a very almost mother-son relationship. 
And there were times where kids could want nothing to do with Ike. So that was pretty interesting to see. But in my opinion, independent of Marineland, it seemed, I, I personally don't know how Kiska would have responded if another killer whale had come in somewhere from around the world to be a companion for her. I don't know how she would have responded. And, you know, that's, I think that's a big what if in every mm. trainer, whether you worked with Kiska or not, or whether you worked with an animal that had been alone. Yeah, you I never mean, know I think... how they're going to respond. Yeah, and I think these days a lot of it is kind of learning from past mistakes. Like I don't think that, you know, it should ever happen again. Like we should never, never. be in a we should never be in a position where we're looking at a solitary killer whale. And I will even extend that into the breeding ban. Uh I do not believe in the breeding ban. I don't think it's no. something that should exist. I understand potentially if people are against artificial insemination, okay, you're taking choice away from the animals. I do understand that. Uh, yeah. these animals have sex for pleasure uh, we had Dr yes. Mal and Lily on talking about sex and cetaceans and how they can't get enough of it uh, any trainer will tell you the same thing so yeah I don't want it us to be in the same situation 50 years down the line because of the breeding ban and we've got all of these solitary yeah. past orcas kind of swimming around yeah. I don't I don't think that's yeah. right either um, yeah. um, and quickly to defend Marineland it was not Marineland Canada's choice to have Kiska alone training team management we didn't want Kiska alone we understand she's a social animal um it was because of bill s203 the cetacean ban that was um put in place in 2019 that sealed this fate and actually i would even go further back because in ontario in the province of ontario where Maryland canada is in 2015 they passed a free willy bill to make it so Whales or dolphins cannot enter and exit the province in order to help phase out killer whales being in zoos and aquariums. Isn't it so interesting that so much of this legislation that's attempting to protect, quote unquote, protect the animals is actually actively harming them and making their welfare it is, worse? It is actively harming them because as you, again, hit a very important point, they have sex for pleasure. They have sex to assert dominance. They and it's in their it's in their DNA or um, instinct to breed and reproduce and have offspring. Yeah, and not even like take re reproduction out of it. You know, they're a social animal. Like they they definitely enjoy spending their time with other animals. Okay, they might gravitate towards one particular individual and. Like, yeah, I mean, at Marineland, you know, they're a real family. You've got a brother and a sister and two sons. Um, and sometimes they all want to be together and sometimes they all want to be apart. But that's part of being a family. It's part of being a pod. Uh, but they should have the choice. They should have the ability to be socialized. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely difficult when you see bills being passed in government for people that don't really have the best understanding not only of what we do every day, but also just the natural history of killer whales or of dolphins. You know, they don't have a good understanding of it. And yeah, as trainers, it can be very demotivating. Yeah, it, it can be because you know the you know the social patterns and the fact that males and females will come together at certain times of the year and then they'll hang out with each other and then they'll separate. 
And this goes for a variety of different whale and dolphin species, not just exclusively killer whales. It goes for bottlenose dolphins, belugas, different, just different whale and dolphin species rely on fish infusion. That's the technical term, um, social structure where they have the ability to come together and leave for different periods of the year. Yeah. And was this kind of I don't want to use the word demotivation because I think it can motivate you in other ways. Maybe it motivated you to to go back to school and get um, your your PR stuff done. Is that kind of where that desire came from to want to be able to speak up, to want to be able to teach Susan Aquariums how to properly navigate this? Yeah, so this was one of the reasons because there were a lot of different cetacean legislations coming through, especially in Canada, but it's also because we all know what happened in 2010, unfortunately, but what stuck out to me was the public relations downfall and the catastrophe of SeaWorld's public relations campaign was. It did not do them any favors because it allowed blackfish to take over which then sparked a huge shift in public opinion in Canada which then had you know famous Bill Demers walrus whisperer movie come out and then came all of this further legislation in Canada as well we're starting to see it in Europe and I always think in the back of my head well what if SeaWorld stood up a bit more for their animals for their trainers for the zoological industry at the time. Of course, nobody could have predicted this. I, in the thought back in my head, back in the day, was like, well, I think this is gonna be a big issue, but nobody really could have predicted the huge issue that it became. So that is really what motivated me to go back to school in the pandemic, because I also realized being in a dying field in Canada, that is marine mammal training. <laughs> this isn't a forever thing and mm -hmm. I only have so few options and I'm very thankful to live in Canada but I want to be now a voice for zoos and aquariums yeah. and I want to help social media teams because I want to help give them the tools from an animal person perspective because I think that's often you know left it's lacking board. it's lacking yeah. you yeah. see it in every facility you have so many talented and wonderful training experts and researchers working you know on the ground every day and then you have a huge disconnect with the people working in the offices who are you know in charge of communications or in charge of press or you know whatever they're and they're very qualified obviously in in those specific um things but they just don't have the understanding of what exactly it is we do every day so absolutely i think it is so worthwhile and i will i think it's necessary these days um i would say that every single facility has someone who can be the bridge between the training and the animal care and pr or social media yeah I agree. And you know, people nowadays want to learn about how the animals are cared for, mm -hmm. how the animals that are at the facility are benefiting animals out in mm -hmm. the ocean. People want to know how the animals are doing, if they're sick, if they're pregnant. And obviously it's hard to have and balance that transparency because you don't want to be too transparent, but transparency now more than ever, I think is so important because if you're not transparent 
you're going to lose trust in your in your publics in, in, in your supporters and the people yeah. who are on the fence you know it's important to remember that there are people who are so set in their ways and you're never going to change their mind but that's not who zoos and aquariums should be appealing to we should be appealing to the people who are loyal and then the people who are on the fence because those people who are on the fence can be our allies in the end if we give them positive reasons to be mm -hmm. absolutely i i couldn't have said it better myself honestly um but emily this has been amazing thank you so much for taking the time to to sit down and to talk about this and it honestly gives me hope for the future i hope you know, there's so many trainers out there with so many different skills, you know, there are incredible animal care caregivers, incredible animal trainers that can also turn their hands to things like PR, social media, communications, you know, so it's not like the industry is lacking in people who can step up into these roles. So absolutely, I hope that that's, uh, that's going to be a priority for zoos and aquariums in the future. But if anyone wants to follow along with your journey or find out more about you and what you do, where can they do that? So currently you can find me again on my fantastic um, social handles on X and Instagram. I am also currently working on getting my website set up. So if you want to learn more about my personal journey or sorry, not to plug on your podcast or anything, but if you, would like, plug to, away. If you would like to talk to me about how your facility can build its brand or tell their story in an effective way, you want an animal person to help you out with that. I'm your girl. So uh, stay tuned to my socials for when my website is up and ready. Hopefully it'll be soon. Amazing. Well, Emily, thank you so much. It was amazing to sit down and chat. Thank you so much again for having me on. I had so much fun. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, then please don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe, and I will catch you all next week.